Tonight, I am going to do my best to present to you a lesson, present to you teaching. I might get a little excited, but Jesus is pretty awesome. And uh, just as much as I love Jesus, I hate the devil. And as a church, I believe it is our responsibility to love the Lord with everything that we have. But we are not to be ignorant of the enemy's devices. It is essential that you and I have a clear understanding of who our God is. We are not only to have a clear understanding of our God, but we are to live and we have been called to live our lives unto that God. There's a big difference between knowing someone's name and knowing them. But there's also a big difference between knowing someone and living your life in service unto them. We are to live our lives unto God. And if we are to do that, we must understand that it is not a life lived unto a powerless God, but unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. That is who we are living unto. That is who we at the refuge are striving to live unto. But who is he? We must have a clear biblical understanding of the Savior. The one true and living God who was and is and is to come. Who is this God that claims to hold all power in his hands? Who is this Jesus who claims to be the redeemer of you and I? Because if he is supposed to redeem, it might be a little easier to redeem you, but he has to redeem me. <laughs> And you might look at people and say, well, Jesus can probably redeem them. But I don't know about me. But he doesn't make exceptions. He doesn't put people aside. He doesn't say, these are the ones that I'm not willing to redeem. No, he claims that he is the redeemer of the world. Who is this king of kings and lord of lords? And I echo the words of Psalm 24 and 8 tonight. Who is this king of glory? Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. You see, we have a king. Amen? We have a Lord. And we are supposed to live unto that king and in service to that king, and to have an understanding of who that king is. Because what are we doing? We're living unto him, and now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. First Timothy 1 and 17 says, Be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So he 
He is the King of glory. He is the Lord strong and mighty. He is the Lord mighty, not just in convenience. He is mighty, not just in comfort and ease, but he is the Lord mighty in what? In battle. And if the Lord is involved in a battle, then there must be an enemy. If he is indeed the Lord mighty in battle, then that means that there is a battle. And if there is a battle, then there is an adversary, there is an enemy. And my question tonight is, who is dumb enough to go against my God? <laughs> who is it? I mean, who is lacking the intellect needed? I remember in high school not being the largest kid, not being the strongest kid, not being the one that everybody expected to step up to the fight. And there were people that I simply thought, somebody needs to maybe punch them in the face. But I'm not gonna be the one because I understand. Back to the notes, Alex Perry. But Noah, there's an understanding, right? When it comes to battle. So tonight I want to talk to you for just a few minutes from this thought, this lesson. There is an enemy. There is a battle. But there is a Savior. There is an enemy. There is a battle. But there is a Savior. And we're going to have some slides, so if you're taking notes, so hopefully it'll make it a little bit easier. And tonight, in my attempt to speak of the enemy, I'm not giving credit to the enemy. Tonight, I will probably spend more time talking about the enemy than I will be talking about the Savior. Because you will spend more of your time, I'm speaking of both the temporary and eternal, you will hopefully, in Jesus' name, by the grace of God, spend more time getting to know about the Savior than you will the enemy. And so I, I do not point him out to give him credit or glory at all, but so that we can have an understanding. In the famous book, The Art of War, the author says, when you are ignorant of the enemy but know yourself, your chances of winning or losing are equal. If ignorant both of your enemy and of yourself, you are certain in every battle to be in peril. And young people, this is why identity is so important. We must have a clear understanding not only of the God we live our lives unto, but we must also have a clear understanding of who the enemy is. His name is Satan, and he is a liar. In fact, he is the father of lies. And my first goal tonight is that we understand 
the titles of Satan used throughout the scripture. And we understand the fact that these names are more than mere labels. In fact, they describe his essence and character. And I would add also his intentions. You see, in battle, you must know more than your enemy's name. Show me one army, show me one battle. Let's take U.S. history alone, where our incredible country, with all of the power that it has, stepped into a battle only knowing the people's name. There would be quite a few people that got fired from their jobs if the people on the front lines only knew the name. And we are to know more about the enemy of our soul than simply the fact that he is the devil. Not because he's powerful, not because he's necessarily something to truly tremble about and be afraid of, but so that we can clearly understand who he is. He is known as the devil, the accuser of the brethren, and this is the first name I want to talk about tonight. The word for devil used in the Greek means slanderer or accuser. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10, it says, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. What does a slanderer do? What does an accuser of the brethren do? Well, he brings false charges to defame and damage reputations. Why? Because he is our adversary. He is our accuser. He is our opponent. And just like somebody that doesn't stand a chance, they might run their mouth a little bit, right? You guys tracking so far? The accuser of the brethren, he opposes God's people in two ways. Everybody say two ways. He tries to convince us before God that we are unworthy. He tries to convince us before God that we are unworthy. That you don't deserve this, that God doesn't love you, that you are the exception and his grace does not extend towards you. His spirit is not for you. Repentance isn't going to work for you. And whenever you get baptized in Jesus' name, you're just getting wet. But he's a liar. The second thing he does is he tries to isolate us to our own consciences. What do you mean? It is here that his focus is on our personal sins and failures. Though I do not view the devil or view Satan as the way that some culture and media have portrayed him as, you know, the, you got you know, the good guy over here, you got the bad guy over here. But if you entertain that for just a moment... That, that little voice right there, typically when we see it, just reminds, hey, 
No, this is who you are. This is what you've done. This is what you should do. And in that, I'd say they might have gotten it a little bit right. He would like to distract us by making us feel guilty. He would like for us to attempt to resolve sin through human works, ritual, and self-righteousness. He would like for us to believe that we should isolate ourselves because that's what he did. In other words, he wants you to fight the battle for your soul without the power of the Savior. I'm going to say that one more time. He wants you to fight the battle for your soul without the power of the Savior. And he wants you to think that there is just an enemy and there is just a battle. The second name or thing that Satan is called that I want to cover tonight is the serpent or the dragon. We first see this appear to Eve when the serpent tempted her to do what? To disobey. Genesis 3 and 1 says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And the serpent... Its identity is disclosed in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil. And Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. We're going to end talking about how he is a deceiver. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. The third name is that he is the prince of the power of the air or the ruler of this world. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2 says, Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That spirit that works in those that are not in obedience to what God created them to do. We must understand the following things about the enemy. Satan does not have all power. He doesn't. God never put in his word anything like that. And we must understand that within God's sovereign permission, God's permission, Satan has temporary control of man's physical environment. It is not this thing that he's just out there loose with absolutely all control to do whatever he wants and God's like, I'm going to chase him and try to, I can't, he slipped out of my fingers again. It's not like that. If this was not the case, and if God, in his sovereignty, did not allow, then we would have to go back to the beginning of the book. And if they were to have not put that part in there that God told them to, and if that would have never happened where 
Eve gave in and she was tempted. And if there, that was never the case and there was never an opportunity for sin, you and I would not have free will. And I refuse to live a life that I have seen across the world that people have to live under a dictator. Because our God is not a dictator. He does not control what we do. You are not programmed to go to heaven or to go to hell. But God has given us free will and the option, the opportunity to sin or be saved. But the second thing that we must understand about the enemy is that his limited kingdom includes all fallen angels and the unsaved who are ignorant to his devices. He is the God of this age. This age, not since before time began, like the God we'll talk about here in a minute. But he's the God of this age. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4 says, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Between the fall and the second coming, Satan has been given freedom to propagate his worldly system during what Galatians 1 and 4 describes as this present evil age. And if you believe that we are in a present evil age, please say amen. I, I'm just going to pause for a moment. I started a new job and I spent about three days a week in an office and I'm the youngest person in that office by a lot of years. <laughs> and I am, I'm the only man that like works in that office and so they're like, this young man is just in here and today one of, one of the ladies that is so kind, um, she came in and we were talking about updating their computers and things. And she's like, here's what you got to understand, Alex. You're working with, she kind of stopped. She's like, I don't want to say a bunch of, not old, I said experienced. <laughs> and and she's, she's an accountant and, and she laughed. And so I was like, I did a really good job. And it was like, it, it kind of feels like whenever I'm talking to Sister Pam, it just, I love Sister Pam. And so our conversations this week have been great at, at the job side. And she is like, you're right. And she begins to tell me, she's like, things just are not what they used to be. This is somebody that doesn't have a Christian background, somebody that doesn't live for God. And she's like, it just seems like things are getting worse and worse. I'm like, it's kind of like the Bible says that. We are living in a present evil age. And if you are not aware of that, then you are what the Bible would call ignorant to the enemy's devices. And the God of this age, he intends to blind the unsaved. How does he intend to do that? By deceptive schemes, by false religions, by intriguing philosophies. And his ultimate goal is for us to be comfortable in our blindness. His ultimate goal is for us to be okay with being good. 
but not godly. His ultimate goal is for us to be comfortable in our blindness. Why? Because if you are comfortable, you have no urgency for change. So when God makes you uncomfortable, maybe he's trying to do something through you and in you. The next name is that he is the evil one. And we're going to keep going faster and faster. And you might leave a Wednesday night earlier than you typically do. If I start seeing some nodding heads, then I'm just going to keep going. It'll be awesome. I'll be like, Pastor, I did what you told me to do. No, I'm just kidding. He is the evil one. And this is found in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 13, John 17 and 15, 2 Thessalonians 3 and 3. And despite his, his beauty, did you just call the devil beautiful? His intelligence, his power, he is the embodiment of evil. He is the embodiment of evil, and often his evil is a deceptively beautiful evil. It's attractive to mankind. Sin is attractive. It's not merely an ugly, harsh, evil, portrayed thing like we see in media and we see in fiction as we see in the world that what they want to call evil is just this disgusting thing. But the reason that it might be attractive to you is because you got this thing called flesh. And he is a deceiver. What he camouflages as beautiful, what he camouflages as intelligence and power, if he is the one that does it, it is evil. Just as no bad thing, if it is good, it is God's. All that is good comes from God, but no good thing comes from this guy we're talking about tonight. He is the tempter, number six. In Matthew chapter four and three, the Lord is led to be tempted by the devil. The Lord is led to be tempted by the devil. And the Lord is led to be tempted by the devil. And we're like, I'm not tempted. Jesus had flesh and he was tempted. You have flesh and you will be tempted. Temptation, it has two senses. It is the external. And that external is when Satan entices and lures people to perform not God's will, but his will. He sets a trap with something that will attract your sinful nature, your sinful nature. Satan and his army... They have a marketing plan that is out of this world. And they plan, they plan out how to target you. You are their target audience. If you've ever 
been on Facebook or Instagram or scrolling through the web and you see an advertisement, then you're like, ladies in the room, you're like, there's no reason I would need a tractor. That's because somebody didn't have a good marketing plan. But guys, I'm telling you what, there have been times I've been going through Facebook and I'll be like, man, I was just talking about fishing yesterday and it just came up like this amazing fishing pole. I don't even, my wife doesn't think I'm a good fisherman. And so I'm going to keep calling her out on that until she changes her mind. But, and you're like, man, they're on it. Whoever you see the enemy of your soul, he doesn't have this general lure that he just casts out there and hopes he catches something. But he knows when I go in this pond and you're there, I know exactly what will get you. When I go over to this pond, oh, I, I know what's going to get him. Her over there, I know exactly. And it is up to us to have wisdom and self-control to say, I'm not going to give in to that. Because though I am not a great fisherman that has the experience to say, this is what I've done and seen, but I've seen a lot of YouTube videos, guys, of these fishermen, that the best, biggest fish are the ones that are on these, like, it's really cool, you should look it up on YouTube. There's, Brother Craig's just kind of grinning, I love you, Brother Craig. And the best fish, the biggest fish are the ones that walk up to it and are like, yeah, right, and just walk away. Well, swim away. The more mature you are and the bigger you get in God, the more you can realize that is a lure of the enemy. He is enticing me. He is trying to get me. <laughs> he sets a trap with something that will attract your sinful nature, but he has not been given the power to force you to take the trap. That is the first. The second is internal. This is where... We, in our sinful nature, make the decision to sin. We make the decision to do that which is evil rather than to do that which is good. Because James 1 and 14 says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Self-control. You can be an overcomer. You can be the fish that swims away. Number seven, he is a roaring lion or like a roaring lion. First Peter chapter five and verse eight says, be sober. I think the last time I read this behind a pulpit, I said, be vigilant. Be sober. Be vigilant. Some of you weren't listening. It's okay. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Be sober. Have clear, object objective thinking based on the word of God. 
where does your thinking come from? Where does your worldview come from? Where do the things that you think about the things of the world come from? I want it to be based on the word of God and the principles of the word of God. Be sober. Be clear. Not distracted, but constantly alert. Why? Because the devil prowls about like a lion, a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He is not omnipresent like our God, but he has to continually seek opportunity. And number eight, he is a deceiver. And we are almost done tonight. He is a deceiver. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 3 says, But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted. Come on, Corinthians. Imagine Pastor Brown coming up to you and saying that. Hey, Alex, I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted. Like, yes, sir, what can I do? <laughs> How can I fix it? And then he'd be like, just as Eve was deceived. I'm like, okay, you don't have to go that low. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but by the cunning ways of the serpent. He would like to deceive you. Do you know that according to a study by the AFA Journal, 94% of Americans believe in a supreme being of some sort. Not all believe in Jesus. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But right now we're at a different percentage than 100. But we're getting there. But 94% of Americans believe in a supreme being, but only 40% believe in Satan. Hmm. One of his greatest methods of deception is to get us to believe that he is not. I want you to think about that. So he can work in the shadows of your life, of your family, of your relationships. To deceive you to believe that he is not. To believe that he does not exist. Because if there is not an enemy back to our enemy battle and savior, if there is not an enemy, then there is not a battle. And if there is not a battle, then there is no need for a savior. Satan is the ultimate deceiver. For generations, he has used the Trojan horse method of deception. Presenting to you something that may appear good, that may appear attractive, that may appear as though it will make you better, but within that gift, within that Trojan horse, is everything hell would like to throw at you. Why? Because we are in a battle. Everybody say, we are in a battle. And it is the battle of this temporary life for your eternal soul. That's what the battle is about. Whoever wins this battle gets eternity. You choose how hard you're willing to fight, whose side you are going to take, 
If you are going to stand on the words of a deceiver or on the words of a God that is pure and holy and just and loving and kind, needs a Savior. It is critical that we understand the names of Satan, the names for Satan, and that we understand that these names are more than just labels, but they were put into the Word of God not to scare you, not to bring fear into your soul, but to expose him for who he is. To expose his essence, character, and his intentions. Somebody say there is an enemy. Say there is a battle. But there is a Savior. Just as scripture exposes Satan's essence, character, and intentions... The word of God exposes the essence, character, and intentions of the Messiah. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. This child, this son, upon his shoulders, the government will be there, and his name shall be called wonderful, not deceiver. His name shall be counselor, not, not the evil one. His name shall be called the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. There's a reason that the old song doesn't say, when I think of the goodness of Satan and all he has done for me. It doesn't work that way. But it says, when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he has done for me, it is my soul that cries out hallelujah. Because as my soul cries out hallelujah, every soul for all of eternity in the same language can cry out hallelujah. Praise God for saving me. Praise God for saving me. Satan has never been wonderful to me, but Jesus has been wonderful to me. Satan has never been a counselor to me, but Jesus has always been a counselor to me. Satan has never been a mighty God, but Jesus from the beginning, the very beginning of time, has been, is, and always will be the mighty God. Satan has never been an everlasting father to me, but Jesus has been an everlasting father to me. And Satan, within God's sovereign permission, has only ever been the prince of the power of the air, but Jesus is the prince of peace. If you'd stand with me. It is within that peace where we can say, there is an enemy. There is a battle. And that battle might look differently for you from time to time. That battle might not be, in this moment, what feels like a battle for your soul. It might feel like a battle for your son or your daughter or your mother or your father or your brother or your sister. There is a battle. 
But there is a Savior. And that Savior is the Prince of Peace. We started off talking about the peace of God. It's the peace that surpasses all understanding. And I believe one of the enemy's goals and one of the things that, I don't know if I should say he enjoys, I don't know how, quite how to put it, but perhaps one of the things that makes him a little happy or a little less scared is when you only pray for the peace that surpasses all understanding for those mourning the loss of a loved one. I don't say that to belittle or to make light of the absolutely need of praying that prayer in the midst of mourning. But I do feel that we need to understand in the midst of the battle, you can call on the Prince of Peace. In the midst of your stress, you can call on the Prince of Peace. In the midst of your anxiety, you can call on the Prince of Peace. In the midst of your doubt and your worry and everything that you may face, you can call on the Prince of Peace. It is then that your understanding of God holds more power than your understanding of the battle you face. He is not just wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the Prince of Peace, but he is who he declared himself to be when he said, I am the bread of life, the light of the world, the good shepherd, resurrection, and the life, the way, the truth, and the life. And he also said, he is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So who is Satan? He's a fallen, cunning, deceiving loser that can't get back up again. So he would really like to keep you down. Psalm 24 and 8. I promise I'm closing. I know I asked the question, who is Satan? But who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. So what do you need to face? The enemy. What do you need to win the battle? Scripture says, open the door and the King of glory shall come in. That's who our God is. He's the victor. If you're on his side, you're on the winning side. There is an enemy. There is a battle. But there is a savior. Amen. Amen. Jesus, we thank you, Lord. <laughs> we thank you, God that you are clear about who you are. But we also thank you tonight that you do not spare in your word in clarity who the enemy of our soul is and that within us can be the king of glory by the power of your spirit that worketh within us and lives within us as we are filled with your spirit.
as it's first seen and evidenced by speaking in other tongues, as you give the utterance as we've seen in the New Testament, that is how we can live an overcoming life against Satan. And tonight we thank you so much, Lord, for not leaving us in the dark so the enemy can work in the shadows, but we can call him out for who he is and the power that he does not have. And unto our King, unto you, Jesus, be all power and glory, all honor that we can give unto you tonight, we give unto you. And I pray that as we leave this place, we would lift up your name, just not in word, but also in deed. And we would live our life unto you. Because within that is a covenant relationship of protection that will keep us. Because we can't wait to spend eternity with you. Oh, in the name of Jesus. If you would, just thank the Lord with me right now. Lord, we thank you God, for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for souls that are being saved. That the kingdom of God is moving forward and the kingdom of darkness is being defeated. Oh, help us to understand who you are and to know the enemy so we can be victorious. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen.